Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore and the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of several lore aficionados on staff, really, and I've got both of my wonderful co-hosts with me today. First up, he plays a warrior. He knows way, way too much about lore, particularly Diablo, as we learned a couple of weeks ago. That'd be Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi, how's it going? Eh, It goes. It always goes. How was your birthday? Happy birthday weekend still. Thank you. Uh, It was, you know, it was low-key. Did you get um, to do nothing? Not, uh, a good deal of nothing. Although I did uh, play a little Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I okay. Won't talk about that, but I did. I did get okay. to play that. I so yeah. I also did a little WoW, but not t- a ton of it. I kind of I keep having this goal. People keep saying the new, the new Ultrak Valley, the Corax Revenge, is great for XP farming, and I have this oh, character yeah. I want to get to 120 before the expansion. Okay. So I keep thinking I'm going to do that, and then I just don't. So it's like. Yeah, it's kind of very much like Alter Valley. On the one hand, great for XP farming. On the other hand, oh, it's Alter Valley. (laughs) So I guess it kind of depends. Also with us is our other co-host who knows a lot about Shaman and knows a lot about lore. That'd be Joe Perez. Hey, Joe. Well, hello. How's it going? Pretty good. Uh, I had my first game with my uh, brand new Sisters of Battle this weekend with my custom-made order of the Ivory Chancla. And uh, we took victory. It was great. That's awesome. I, this weekend, finished up Life is Strange 2, which I have been playing all year because the chapters have been releasing, you know, over the course of the year. And they just came out with the last chapter. I cried like a baby. It was Mm -hmm. a very good game. I highly recommend it to anybody who really loves narrative titles um, because there's not a lot of, I mean... There's not a lot of combat or anything like that. It's mostly based on decision making, but I really feel like they nailed the whole, the choices you make during the game lead up to that ending. And there's like seven different endings now instead of a binary choice, which is what you got with the end of the original Life is Strange, which even though it had that at the end, I still recommend people play it because I thought it was a really good game. Um, But Life is Strange 2, I think, kind of blew it out of the water in that aspect. So yeah, if people are interested in narrative games, go look up that title. You can buy the whole thing now and play it from beginning to end. You don't have to wait for any chapters to release or anything, which is great. Um, So this week, we're going back to that gigantic pile of emails because we barely scratched the surface last week. (laughs) (laughs) Although we did get a lot of talking done. Um, If you guys happen to have an email for the show, you can send that to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Be sure that you put lower watch in the subject line so that we know that it's intended for this show. You can also hop into our Discord if you want to. Drop into the uh, Q and Podcast Questions channel and just make sure that you note that your question is for the Lower Watch podcast because we do pull stuff from there as well. Um, So this week we're going to jump in. I've got three emails here and they're all kind of around the same thing. Um, The first one sort of deals with a little bit of what we were talking about at the end of last week's podcast, only it's a different theory. And this one is from Margot, who says, Hey, Lore Watchers, 
I've been doing some thinking about Shadowlands and specifically what caused the machine of death to break down. Crucially, I think it needed to happen before Legion because we know that Sylvanas counted on becoming Warchief as part of her plan, as was revealed during BlizzCon. Is it possible that Pandaria was the tipping point, specifically when we defeated Garrosh and the heart of Yasharaj? Could it, in part, if not in whole, have gone to the Shadowlands? Is it possible that the Jailer is using this void energy to power Sylvanas with some combination of void and death magic, unknown to our heroes back home on Azeroth, which then led to the plan to cause a horrific war and feed the Maw more death to power this void-slash-death combo? Just a thought, Margot. That's kind of an interesting proposition. Um, at the same time, I don't... I mean, I guess it would kind of explain why the Void didn't like her. Because if she was using the Void in that capacity, that's not the way the Void is necessarily utilized. So that would kind of make sense. I don't know. What do you guys think? I don't understand w w the initial premise here. Why does it need to happen before Legion? Because, because Sylvanas arranged to become War Chief specifically for yeah, all of this. I, I think there's more to I think there's more to yeah. it. I've had a couple conversations where people are keen off of what they said where it they were like it's been broken for a long time and they're trying to predict how far back it's Yeah, I just don't understand why your plan to break something needs to like your plan needs to exist before the breaking actually happens. But that doesn't mean that the breaking has to have happened before part of your plan goes off. It's just like saying, well, this plan to rob this bank, I think it must go back well before the bank was robbed. Yeah, but you can't say the robbery goes back before the robbery. The robbery is the robbery. You, the okay, machine... well, let's let's put it this way. Let's put it this way. Um, the machine of death breaking down, the plans for that and the impetus for that and the starting spark of all of that. They're saying that this had to have happened before Legion because Sylvanas getting... The position of war chief was specifically so that she could feed souls to the maw and the only yeah. reason she could feed souls to the maw is because that thing was broken you know what i mean um well i mean we know that sylvanas like her her whole arrangement with the jailer seems to go back to edge of night like that's what they yeah. said at blizzcon and uh if that's the case then the plan has been in motion since the end of wrath and the beginning of cataclysm which is why Deathwing's going to get to come back by the way and i'm super excited about that uh I'm serious. I mean that. We're going to get Deathwing back. Um, but no, I do, <laughs> Are we going to get Spine of Deathwing back? You're going to be so happy about that. <laughs> I, I honestly think Neltharion will be back and he'll yeah. possibly even be a good guy. Maybe. Um, but one of the things I'm serious about here is that I do think obviously this plan has been in motion since beginning of Cataclysm, end of, of Wrath Lich King. What I don't know is how much of it Sylvanas was aware of because I go back and I, I've done that, that this, the quest line with Sylvanas getting told by, you know, the whole bit where Vol'jin says that, that they've whispered your name. She doesn't look shocked. Her jaw doesn't hit the floor. She's not like, what? But she doesn't look like she expected it either. She stands there not like somebody who is suddenly weighted with all of this responsibility. She stands there like a person who has been taken aback to the point where in that moment... She doesn't really know what to do, and that's weird for Sylvanas Windrunner. And it's really weird for Sylvanas Windrunner, who's up, who's planning something. Like Sylvanas is a is a good planner, and she's pretty subtle when she needs to be. But I I don't know. I mean, maybe she's that good an actress. I, I you know you got me. Patty Matson's that good an actress, but you have to separate the actress from the character. There are I two ways know. that it could be taken. It could be taken as she's totally surprised that that just happened, or it could be she's totally taken by surprise because that actually just happened and it worked. It's possible. Uh, and that's the thing is it's, I think in terms of the, if the, the actual problem with the maw, I don't think the maw was broken beforehand because if it was, then for one thing, when the death Knights came to raise uh, Tyrion Fordring, there wouldn't, the, the light would not have been lashing out at them to stop them because he would have been gone. Do you know what I'm saying? He wouldn't have been in the place he was supposed Unless to be. Unless the light actually intervened like it did with Brid and Brad. Yeah, and that's, there's, I don't know. I don't, I don't generally, the, the further back people try to push it, the more resistant I am until we get more information. It's possible it was further back. It's possible it's been way further back. It could have been, it could have been broken as far back as the first time, you know, the, 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 the Legion dropped the Lich King on Azeroth. 
that could have been the start of it all. I don't know, but I don't know. I, I don't feel like this is a good idea because then it kind of gets, the end of Mr. Pandaria had a very definitive feeling. Yeah, it did. You know, we beat the, you know, we beat Garage. We destroyed the heart of Yashaj. We it was us who did it. Not the, you know, none of the uh, August Celestials could do it. It was just plain old mortals who got rid of this thing that even the Titans couldn't get rid of. And the idea that we didn't really get rid of it so much as send it into another plane of existence to be devilous later really steals some of the power of that narrative moment, which is a pretty strong moment. And I would not like it to be retconned or whatever you want to call it into retroactively undermined. Yeah. It turns out that that was a bad thing. Does everything we do have to end in destruction? Can we get one win here? You know, it, it gets to the point where it's like adventurers, just the cause of Azeroth's problems. We no longer solve anything. We just cause more problems. For, you know, we should actually stop. We should just let things happen. You know, I, I, I don't I don't like that idea. That's just me, though. You guys might. What about you, Joe? What do you think? Helps if I don't mute myself. Yes. Uh, I agree with pretty much everything Rossi said. Um, the other thing that's been bothering me a lot about this lately, because I've, I've been hearing this argument that Sylvanas is using void energy over and over and over and over again. But why? And not only that, like trying to, to shoehorn the jailer and tie it to void energy. Why? It doesn't have to be. And that's the thing. Like anima is its own thing. It can be its own thing. Shadow magic is its own thing. And just because necromancy is involved doesn't necessarily mean void. And we're starting to learn that a little bit too. Well, plus, I mean, there's that whole bit where nobody knows what the heck Sylvanas just did. Exactly. Because it's not something they've seen. seen. Yeah, I think we've seen enough void guys and shadow guys that it would really not be forgivable for Thalissera to not know what that was. Yeah, exactly. And it wasn't, it wasn't just Thalissera. Jaina was like, did you did what the hell was that? You know? And if Jaina doesn't know what it is and Thalissera doesn't know what it is, it's like, guys, um, it can't just be void. It, it, we've seen it. Jaina probably sees Alaria Windrunner a few times. She's the Alaria Windrunner literally gets teleported onto a boat by Jaina Proudmore at the beginning of this expansion. Mm-hmm. Like I, I feel like if it's just the void should know what that and, is. And and that's kind of my thing. Like I think that what everything that's going on can be different or bigger or, or just separate. And I think that's fine. So like going back to the original root of, do I, you know, when do I think everything's been broken? I have no bloody idea because like Matt said, every time we take it a step further back, every time somebody pushes that, that, that marker further and further back, I'm more hesitant to accept it because we don't know enough. We don't know enough about it. And I've talked about this before. The machine could have been breaking down for a while. We don't understand when that point started. You know, just because something broke, it could have been dying or breaking for a long period of time. Like we brought up the idea that it could have been broken from the time that the Titans started messing around with things. That could have started breaking the mold way, 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 way back when. And then it finally, you know, toppled at some other point, but or it just eventually slowly ground to a halt and it never had a tipping point. That's the other thing we don't know. Like it's it's like a ball bearing, right? Like if you've ever dealt with a car in an area where there's like snow and they they salt uh in the winters instead of using sand or something like that yeah ball ball bearings slowly start to degrade and they don't catastrophically fail no they just erode over time they erode over time to a point where they're just not functional anymore and have to be replaced what if that's something that happened here and there is no tipping it's just the slow erosion that eventually got too much you know the leak that got too big so like that's why I'm I'm not sold on like Pandaria being a tipping point. Like like you guys said, we had a very specific set of feelings about that. We had a very specific uh feel to how that all played out. Even now going back to it, that, that feeling's still there, even in the stuff that sends us back there. And I don't selfishly I don't want that feeling taken away because I think it's it's its its own thing and I don't think it needs to be marred by anything else. But who knows? I, I but I, I I don't think Sylvanas has anything to do with void magic. I think it's something completely different. I think it's something totally new. And I think it does have something to do with like what she's getting from the jailer, but I don't think that's void energy either. It's something we don't understand. Speaking of Sylvanas, we're going to do 
it's not an email actually it's just me with a theory that I want to throw at you guys um you if you want to pretend that this is an email you could just pretend it's from Nan um Nick Stee or uh pretend this is from Michelle Morrow yeah from Michelle because this is kind of like along the lines of <laughs> Michelle Michelle doesn't like thinking about Sylvanas being a bad guy and I totally get it and I understand it particularly since she's a character that a lot of people have actually like loved over the years um I was kind of looking at all of this stuff and thinking about it and flipped everything on its head and I came up with a theory and I wanted to run it by you guys and I wanted to see what you guys thought about it is this Sylvanas working in conjunction with the jailer or is this actually Sylvanas still trying to get revenge on the Lich King for what he did to her for to Arthas for what he did to her because here's what happened in the edge of night in edge of night she leapt off she saw only darkness and then she saw Arthas there and she realized that in this version of eternity she would have to spend it with the person who did all of this to her and I feel like what if in that moment she said oh no, this can't be. And that's when she made this deal with the jailer. She was like, yeah, sure, I'll bring you souls, whatever. Because what has she done so far? She broke the helm of domination. She ripped it in half. She ripped the helm of her tormentor in half and opened the gateway to where that being originally got his power. And maybe I'm wondering if she's thinking if she overloads that place with so many souls, she can destroy it utterly and then she never has to go there. And everything that she's sacrificed along the way is something that she would call a necessary sacrifice on her path to this ultimate vengeance that is still driving her after all this time. Uh, what do you guys, is? am I way out of line here or is this actually like maybe a possibility that could be a possibility? I'll let Rossi go before I, I, I start No, you in. should go first because I'm thinking about it. Okay. okay. I, I am taking it a completely different and I've had a lot of discussions about this recently too. Okay. And the thing, things that keep sticking out to me, I don't think it's about revenge anymore. I don't think it's been about vengeance for a long time. I think it's, I think it's moved beyond. And I think it's moved to a point where Sylvanas in her own way is trying to be the big dang hero because things like what are we, but slaves to this eternal torment? Well, if there is no torment anymore, we're not slaves. We're free. She talks about freeing everybody from this, this, you know, what, what we're stuck in the middle of. I think that she is making her choices and taking her actions based off of what she feels is going to ultimately be saving everybody, whether that's right or wrong. I think death is inevitable and she's trying to break that. Exactly. Like, so you're working with the jailer. Well, if everything is, has to go to the shadowlands, well, what if we don't have to do that anymore? What if we free him and all this happens or, you know, breaking the the lich king's helm no longer those souls are trapped presumably on this plane of existence they can move on or they can go to another state of existence like i think she's trying to become the hero again of her story and not a villain and it it, it sounds weird the problem is is that the living to her are still arrows in her quiver i are they or are are they just they are necessary their... sacrifices that she needs to get but done what she, she needs breaks... to be done, which ironically makes her closer to Arthas than ever. But and if she succeeds in her goal, though, are those quivers are those arrows broken? Are those arrows lost? True. So or is it her thinking not that they're necessary expenditures, but I'm going to break this and bring them back. They're not going to be stuck in the cycle. They're not going to be used as they as... won't see that eternal. Void. Yeah. They won't see that suffering, that eternal void that I saw. I'll be able to save them from that. The problem with that is that that seems like a very compassionate outlook. And I'm wondering, does she really have that capacity I... for that type of compassion? Well, here's what here's what started me thinking about that. Go back to the comic, the Three Sisters comic. Go back to That's how many times. That's true. Go back to when she was talking about killing her sister to be with her forever. Not And they wasn't out of like these 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 places of vengeance or hatred or or despair it was i love my sister i don't want her to be miserable i see she's in pain she can be with me we can be happy forever i can free her from her torment 
and that that's one thing that happens go back to she could have had them murdered again but she showed that compassion and i i think that's what's driving her i think she's starting to feel things and not understand what it is or fully understand how strong they are because she makes a big deal out of i feel nothing i feel nothing i feel nothing I don't think that's true. I don't think that's been true for a long time. Perhaps the lady doth protest too much. I think so. And okay. like some of the conversations he's had with, with uh, Nathanos too. Like it's just, there's, there's so many things there, I think. Sorry, go ahead. Rossi, what do you think? She's a murderer. Okay. And that's it. And that's it. Everything she is, her justifications are justifications. Nobody ever thinks they're the bad guy. Everybody thinks they're doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Very, very few people are aware that all they're doing is causing suffering and relish it. There are sociopaths, but I don't think Sylvanas is a sociopath. There are psychotics, and I don't think she's psychotic. And quite, quite frankly, both the terms, both sociopath and psychotic, I'm using them here. I'm using them way, way too broadly, and they're not even accurate to modern psychiatry. But that's not the point. The point is, is that Sylvanas was never a one, you know, she wasn't somebody who just went around murdering people because she thought it was funny, haha. Even when she was dead, even as a as a banshee or as the whatever kind of unique undead thing that she is now. She's never been about killing people because it was fun or funny or entertained her. She's always been goal-oriented. And I'm sure she's goal-oriented now. I don't know what her goal ultimately is. Uh, we, you know, Joe's speculation certainly could be her motivation, uh, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you think you're doing the right thing. It doesn't matter... If you think, well, these are just necessary sacrifices. She burned children to death. She, she, you know, non-combatants. They still had to suffer that, that they wouldn't have had to suffer otherwise. You can say, well, we're all going to die eventually. We're not all going to die in a conflagration where a goddess has to step in and put us to sleep so we don't actually endure choking to death on a giant flaming tree. Uh, and that is something that I really feel like this is, I'm always getting in trouble for focusing on this. Whenever we talk about lore, whenever we talk about that, I always get myself into trouble by focusing on that. No, it's okay. Uh, no, no, I'm not saying here. I'm saying it was people, a big event. People, it was. People listening or people reading will always say, oh, is Rossi hating on Sylvanas, Rossi hating on the Horde. And I don't think it has anything to do with hate because this is a fictional character. Fictional characters exist to serve the story. And that's what Sylvanas is doing. Ultimately, Sylvanas is here because the story requires her to do these things. That's not a negative, and that's not me criticizing the story exactly. I'm just saying, when you read a story, the characters in it are not real people. But the things that they're telling you about are things real people go through. Also keep in um, mind that when we say things like Sylvanas is a good character or Garrosh is a good character, we're not talking about that from like a moral standpoint. We're talking about that narrative. How it speaking. serves the story. Yeah, how it serves the story. A character could be a something. good character and do really terrible things. It still makes them a good character because every story needs a really good foil, you know. Well, there's an interesting. I I don't know if you guys know the Animorphs books. Oh yeah. Uh, K. A. Applegate wrote them, and one of the things people have, were very upset about is how she ended those books. And I've seen this online a few times. I can't speak to its veracity. I've never gone and looked to make sure she wrote it. But one of the things that she said in her like her kind of addressing of the end of the series was. People are upset that these characters didn't stay together after being together for most of the books. They they left when the war ended. Some people are upset that these people didn't get really get punished. They just continued on, that, that the war went right into another war. And it's like, unfortunately, that's war. You know, people get away with doing horrible things. Other people are broken, and they never recover. Uh, relationships that seem forged in fire fall apart when the, the, the impetus isn't there anymore. Other relationships stay strong. There's no predicting it. War is a horrible thing, even when you think you need to do it. Even, you know, very few people who have been in war are happy about war. That Very few of them want more of it. And that's the thing I think where people are forgetting here. This is a story where horrible things happen. And those horrible things, they inform the character forever. And you you can't ignore those things well, you can't ignore those things, but that's not a it's not a it's not a satisfying narrative to have a character do those things and and never address what that meant, what it what it means, what it what it the weight of it. And I don't think that that's what Blizzard's doing. I don't think Blizzard is ignoring the weight of it. I think Blizzard is taking Sylvanas to the furthest extreme because they're, they're, they're one of the things that happens when people are injured, when they're when they're 
traumatized, when they live in trauma for years, is their way of thinking is skewed. And un, undeath in this setting, the forsaken in this setting, have been depicted as traumatized in a very real way that is part and parcel of the condition. They don't have survivor's guilt because they didn't survive. They have something even worse. They have a detachment from life. It's it's like you take the tr the effects of trauma on a person and then you make it, you know, this is the metaphor. This is, you take it and it's even more extreme than it is in real life. Life in itself is a phantom limb. Yeah, and that's, you've seen that with Sylvanas in War Crimes. You saw that in the sisters, in, you know, you saw that in the uh, cinematic from the Warbringer cinematic. You see it and you see it and you see it. Sylvanas is not emotionless, but she does not have the proper, I don't know the right word. Um, she capacity proper, for dealing with it? I don't think it's even capacity for dealing with it. I think she doesn't have the, the ability because she doesn't have the tools because they're gone. Every, the bits her entire of the machine that make that thing happen died when Sylvanas died. And another way to put it, that's another good, that's a good idea too. That's a good metaphor. But another way to put it is that you're, you know, if you look at how she approaches everything, she goes with the thing that she was best at in life. She's a strategist and everything is strategy. Everything is coming up with a plan and executing it. And when the Lich King was gone, suddenly she didn't have an outlet. And then we got into like whatever she did on top of Ace Crown Citadel, whatever pact she made, whatever she's been doing since, the, the people she's been dealing with, the, the goals she's been trying to reach. Uh, you, you know, you see it with like her dealings with Ashara. You see it with whatever she was up to with Helia. Um, you don't know, we don't know if Helia is involved even in what's coming in the future, but it seems like how did she find out about Helia? Well, you know, the, the jailer would have known about her. And that's the kind of thing you look at. And it's like this character, she may, maybe she sees herself as a hero or that she's going to free everybody. She even says like, you know, I really did feel for them. When she's talking about the Forsaken, she's like, I really did feel for them. I really did want them to be free of all this. Yeah. Um, and everything she's doing, she does, you know, I think she's, there's, there's the old saying, never get high in your own supply or, you know, don't buy, don't buy into your own myth. Mm -hmm. And Sylvanas has kind of bought into the idea of herself as the dark lady, you know, the, the, the queen of the Forsaken, the, Savior of the Forsaken. Yeah, the, whether or not they even want it. And we saw her reject that idea back in Before the Storm with the Desolate Council. When they started leaving to go be with the you know their lived ones in the Alliance, all she had to do was let them go. And just, she could have even gone to Andrew and said, you, you're doing this and that means, you know, you understand what that means, the insult you've offered me. And, you know, that's she could have dealt with it that way. But de dealing with that way would have been accepting that they can reject what she wants for them. And she can't allow anybody to reject this. So it doesn't matter how many people Mother she Mother knows best. It doesn't matter how many people she kills. It doesn't matter, like, she can burn an entire, like, you know, you know, a starting zone to the ground, and the people that she's killed, she can offer them, you know, you can get to come back now if you want, but you have, you know, if you don't accept my terms, then you go back in the ground. And that's like, you know, you can say that, well, the only people that got up were the ones who were willing to, but what kind of offer is it? You know, or you can just be dead like you are now. Or you can go to the Maw. Yeah. And it's like, the more you think about it, the less the less agency Sylvanas leaves anyone. It's her way yeah. or death. Irrevocable death. Death you don't get to come back from. So there's, I, 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 I don't have a lot of That's why I was kind of wondering if if this was all just... She's never stopped trying to get vengeance. She's just taking a different tactic with it now. See, I don't. I think Joe's got a point about the idea that she's past vengeance. Unless you okay. think of it as she wants vengeance against existence, right? Like if, well, if maybe she if does. Idea, maybe she does. But I mean, that's the, no. The the Lich King is no longer sufficient. There's there's an old essay. Uh, T. S. Eliot wrote an essay called Hamlet and His Problems. Oh yes. And one of the points he made mm -hmm. was that in that 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 many people don't understand is that Hamlet's biggest problem was that he couldn't find anybody he hated as much as himself. Yeah. Like he he hated his uncle surely, but his uncle wasn't really worthy of him. He knew he could he could take his uncle out anytime he wanted and be king, but that wouldn't satisfy him. It wouldn't 
fix the way he felt, the anger he felt at himself for his father's death, the anger he felt at himself for this, you know, the, his mother and his uncle being married, you know, that was, it was all self-directed and he, he could not find an enemy all sufficient to his hate. And I really feel like Sylvanas has found something that she can hate enough, but it's everything. And it doesn't make her not a person. That's the thing. She's still a person. Joe's mention of, of Nathanos is just one example. The fact that she doesn't kill her sisters mm-hmm. entirely because Verisa apologizes to her. Verisa's like, you know, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have just not talked to you again. I should have come to you and explained why I couldn't go with you. And Sylvanas doesn't say anything. She doesn't like, you know, she's not like, well, that's okay. But she turns to her Dark Rangers afterwards and she's like, you know, call it off. There is that in her that wants to be a person. There is that in her that wants to have these relationships. She's, she just doesn't understand how to do it anymore. Like the whole bit that Joe mentioned about for the bit from war crimes where she was going to kill her sister. She wasn't going to kill her sister because she hated her. She was going to kill her sister because the only way she could imagine them being together was for them both to be dead. And, you know, then, then it would be perfect because they both be like that. So she'd finally have someone who understood. She'd finally have someone who supported her. And it was after Verisa effectively made that impossible that she went and made Nathanos what he is. Do you think that if somebody had come to Sylvanas in that moment where she was talking to Verisa and everything and said, I can make you alive again, do you think she would have taken it? No, because she sees that as pointless. Okay. Yeah, if if her new if her new fight has moved like we like, you know, I think it has and, and I think that she would not take that. I think she sees life as pointless because it always ends the same way. Mm-hmm. The entire world is set up so that you get to be alive, you get to live, you get to experience life, and then it's taken from you. And maybe sometimes and you get to have a, a happy life. that's such a bitter perspective, but that is a truthful <sighs> perspective. Yeah, and it's in her perspective, too, look what can happen. It can be, it can be such a theft of everything you are and everything you believe. And I mean, part of that like comes down to I mean, if, you know, really, seriously, it's trauma. All of this is trauma. It doesn't make it acceptable. Like, you can look at something someone does and say, this is an act of evil, and still understand why they can do it and not see themselves as evil. I feel like that's the danger sometimes is that people don't grasp. Just because we like somebody and we think they're interesting doesn't mean that this thing they did wasn't pure evil. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can you can think that without it doesn't thinking mean they're a that bad they... character don't have the capacity to do that yeah yeah or or for that matter that they couldn't in different situations have done a good thing nobody like nobody is ever all one thing nobody is is just blackness all the time maybe like maybe there's a few in the world but i've never met anybody who didn't have something you know no matter how badly they were treated i'm kind of interested to see what sort of darkness lurks in anduin because it's got to be there somewhere I mean, Anduin, I can give you a three right now. One, he ignores other people. Yep. If if what they're telling him isn't what he wants to hear, he ignores it. He doesn't take it into account. He doesn't address it. He ignores it. And sometimes, sometimes overtly rejects it. Yeah. And he's gotten people hurt and even killed, including almost himself, but other people too. Uh, SI7, the deaths SI7 members had in uh, Jade Forest, Anduin's fault because yeah, he was running around he was running around you know messing around with the native people instead of you know reporting back for his responsibilities so they had to go look for him and they got killed for it if he had just gone back they wouldn't have died and yeah, it's he just, does have a stubborn streak it's not just that he's stubborn it's that he's flat out ignores other people if they don't match up to what he believes and yes sometimes that's a good characteristic but he does not understand how to compromise and he has not yet learned. His father was also stubborn, but his father learned how to look at other points of view. He learned how to bend. Anduin has not learned how to bend. Anduin got to bend his father. He got to be the perspective that his father bent and listened to. And it made him think, I'm always right. And he did the same thing for Velen, a creature who is how old? Yeah, 25,000 years old. Yeah. And And it's kind of gone to his head. He is straight up... He believes that, you know, if he just keeps plugging away and how many soldiers died in this war and how many of them are dead because Anduin didn't understand what he was getting into. True. And that's that's one. Two, Anduin 
he does not grasp the subtleties of like how to deal with people who are flat out evil. Like, you know, he, he's when Sylvanas was completely right. When she said the boy King doesn't know anything of war, he thinks this war is already over, but war is a shifting thing. When she's saying that she's completely right. Anduin has this idea that, you know, if we just push hard enough, if we just do enough, people will come to come around and we'll make connections and we'll get this done. And when Sorfang was sitting there trying to tell him, no, we did these atrocities, Anduin's arguing with Sorfang. No, orcs aren't all bad. And Sorfang is like, you know, I never said we were all bad. He doesn't actually say that, but he gives him a look like, did I say that? I, I did not say that. You are not listening to me. You know, we did these things and we have to deal with those things. You that, can't just take them away. And Anduin's trying cinematic, to. That cinematic in particular, the one between Anduin and Sorfang when they're like in the tower and everything. That was a really good cinematic. And it, it absolutely illustrates that Sorfang, as a much older person, understands his own flaws. And he understands, I have yet again done the wrong thing. Because my I feel like sometimes Anduin lives in this world of naive, naive sort of perception of things. And every once in a while we'll see him break out of that naivety and kind of like view things as they are. And then he it goes. Doesn't last long. He goes right back into it again. Yeah. Well, I mean, for one thing, he is very young. I think he is at this point like eighteen years old. He's eighteen. He's, I think he's. A, is he eighteen now? He's eighteen. Yeah. So he is very young, and he has lived his life kind of always being the one who has to push people to try and you know get along. Uh, he's effectively had to be the diplomatic voice for a father who was. I mean, not heck, yeah. It. I was gonna say he had to do that even when Varian was gone. He had to sit there and, and like try and unravel the whole Anixia thing himself. And then see, that's another moment too, because he knew that something was going on there and he couldn't really do anything about it. And when he finally told somebody about it, something got done about it and Anixia was uncovered. And it was like, oh, and, Anduin is right again. Yeah. And look at what happened with Bolvar. He's witnessed, mm -hmm. you know, Bolvar getting turned into the Lich King. First, he thought he was dead and then he found out he was the Lich King. His father died. Uh, in in before the storm, uh, I can't remember the name. Uh, I want to say Wit, Wind. I, you do know the character I'm talking about, the uh, major Domo character, uh, the the older yeah, one. Yeah, his caretaker. Wife, yeah, the the one whose uh, wife is a forsaken. He I dies. think it was just Win, wasn't it? Or no? Maybe it's Win or Winter. I can't I can't remember. Okay. I have to look it up. But he dies, and Anduin has to witness that. And Anduin the whole time, Anduin was like, "Let me do this for you. Let me do that for you." And he's like, "No, you can't do anything about this." Will Will Benton. Well then, thank you. That yeah, whole and exchange and that whole, oh God, that just killed me. It killed yeah, and it, me and it still kills me. I can't go back and reread that right now. I just, I can't. I can't bring myself to do it. It hits that's too thing. hard. That's the thing though. Anduin does not grasp this concept that sometimes all your good intentions don't matter. Yeah. That you can't just come in and fix it. And I think to a certain degree, this is one of the reasons that Gen... Gen is like constantly on Anduin to a degree because Gen is too much in the other direction where he's like, you know, very angry and he is, you know, seen good intentions fail. Things and, must be done. A certain then things yeah. must be done. And Anduin is not doing those things that must be done. And Gen is getting very prickly about it. But at the same time, Gen's not inflexible. When Gen no, is he's not. We've already Gen seen him grow and change his perspective quite a bit. And has actually been willing to accept that that undead monstrosity that showed up is his old friend and is him inside. Like, I am speaking to the person I knew and was friends with for years. I am speaking with Bishop, with Archbishop Fowl. Mm -hmm. I am talking to this man. Alonsus Fowl is talking to me, even though he is in a rotting corpse. And he has accepted it. He doesn't like it. Boy, Turalyon really didn't like that at all, though. Turalyon actually had a harder time accepting it than Gen did. Yeah, yeah. he did. Gen actually was like, no, you've got to back down. You know that this is him. You can hear it. And that's something, if, if presented with the exact opposite, Anduin could not accept it. If evil Varian showed up, you know, like, I'm now animated by the pure power of evil and was started murdering people, Anduin would try to talk him out of it. Which no I'm matter. so legit, I'm waiting for that to happen in Shadowlands. I'm just saying, like, I'm, I'm <laughs> waiting for that exact scenario to happen. But Anduin would never be able to make that jump no, in he the wouldn't. opposite direction. He does not have that flexibility. So that's problem number two. He, uh, I feel like I've been going on for a while, so we should probably move on to some other stuff. But I was going to say, him, thing. him and Sylvanas are characters that were made for each other at this point. Sylvanas, yeah. Sylvanas is capable of a lot of flexibility. 
I think the problem that Sylvanas has, if we get right down to it, is that she has lost that part of herself that was capable of all that stuff that Anduin does. And she had it. Mm-hmm. She is the one she is the one who stood up and when the prince of, of Silvermoon said, you know, get rid of him, she's like, uh, am I the general ranger general or are you? I will be king. Are you king now? No. Then um go get him and tell him to come here and I'll tell him that I'm not doing it. Because he's the guy I'm supposed to be telling that I won't do it. Because I am the Ranger General and neither you nor your father are. And if you want somebody else to be doing this job, then by all means, get them. Because as long as I have the title, I'm going to do things my way and he stays. That's an Anduin thing. That is something Anduin would be very comfortable doing. Yeah. And that's something Sylvanas used to do. And now she would never do it because she has just been through so much. That's why when you asked if someone said, I can make you alive right now, I think that would be the worst punishment that would ever happen to Sylvanas Winrunner. Yep. Oh, yeah. I've said it. I've said it hundreds of times now. Same here. Absolutely. Killing killing her would be a complete waste compared to making her be alive again. It would be like, can you imagine? Because A, now she knows that eventually she's going to die and go through all this again. B, she now feels everything completely without like the undeath is like some kind of weird phantom limb thing getting between her and her emotions. And C, all those people that she loves can never face her. You know, how is Verisa going to face her now? She, Raw, if she went to Verisa, unfiltered grief. Oh, boy. Yeah. And imagine trying to go to anybody that you would try to go to. She can't go to Verisa for help. She can't go to Valeria for help. Valeria tried to kill her. Valeria was flat out trying to kill her in, in the opening of, of uh, Battle for Azeroth. Valeria has turned on her completely. So imagine that. And it's not like she could go to, like, you know, Nathanos. Nathanos may love her, but he's, like, forsaken down to his toes. His idea would be, well, we'll kill you and we'll raise you again and everything will be back the way it was. That, like, that might even be her idea. So, you know, it's... No, that would be the worst thing that could possibly happen to her. And I okay. almost, you know, they don't do it. What's the third thing for Anduin, real quick? Uh, besides his inflexibility and his complete belief that he's right, uh, his ability to ignore the cost to other people. Okay. You know, he's just like, when you you go back to, to uh, Before the Storm again, people are telling him, you know, he and he's, he tries to be sensitive to it. He's like, you know, you don't have to meet them, but, and then he basically suggests, I do want to bring the rotting corpse of your loved one to, to you know, and you to meet it. That's okay, right? I mean, you don't have to. Like, there's a level of complete insensitivity to people that Anduin is real good at. Okay. All right. We're going to move on to the next email here because we're going to move on to the next email. We've been talking a lot about this. It was a good topic, though. So Uh, this next one is from Coriana, who's from Shuhalo, who says, Is it possible that the jewel in the Helm of Domination is Odin's eye? From the videos I've watched about Blizzcar, BlizzCon, it sounds like the Nathrazim stole the helm and Frostmourne from the Shadowlands. My thoughts split into two ideas here. One is that the helm was made for the Jailer using Odin's eye, granting him the powers that the Lich King eventually ended up with, along with a connection to Azeroth. The second thought is that the Jailer positioned the helm and Frostmourne to be quote-unquote stolen as part of a plan to eventually open a door to Azeroth. Thanks, love the show. Keep up a great job, Coriana. Do we think that's Odin's eye in the Helm of Domination? I mean, it's a neat idea. Yeah. I don't know. It doesn't look like Odin's eye, but, you know, one assumes that they would have you know, done stuff to it, but they just jammed in the hat. Yeah. But I'm that not... would be a great way for the Jailer to keep track on everything. I'm I'm not sold on it being Odin's eye. I think Odin's eye is still out there in play, and I think it might be a little bit different because, again, the power that it was displaying wasn't necessarily Odin's. So like I'm not I'm not entirely sure that the helmet domination was was that. Let me let's go back, however, to something that happens in the original Death Knight starting zone. Okay. One point you you go up to a thing and the Lich King allows you to tap into his power to create a giant flowing uh, floating eye, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. you then use to attack a small town full of humans. You yep. go around, spy on it, and raise the dead through it. Do all sorts of stuff. And you're a big old eyeball. Uh, yeah, I'm not. Again, I'm not saying that it is, but it is interesting that, that the floating eyeball thing is something that Death Knight, that Lich King uses a couple of times. Um, does that mean that it is Odin's eye? No, it could it could just be a coincidence. Uh, it's a neat idea, and it, it'd be interesting to see if that's what they did. Uh, looking at like looking at various representations of the of the Helm of Domination, there's the the gem that's like right on the front part of it. Mm-hmm. And then there's that big thing that sticks up the top, 
that's like a pillar. I mean, that would it's got yeah. kind of a skull thing on it. I mean, it's there's I I don't I see like there's a possibility for it, but it doesn't really like here's the one where Bolvar is wearing it and it's like the gem is gone like kind of orange and the two eyes. It's definitely over the third eye position on like, you know, it's right dead center in the middle of the mm-hmm. forehead. So I don't know. I I I get what here's this my thought on this though. See, here's my thought on this, and this is why I'm kind of like, huh, about that. Bolvar saw the Shadowlands once he put that helm on. He saw everything that was in the afterlife. So if the jailer was looking out through the Lich King's helm, then maybe the Lich King could look back in. Well, that goes back to the thing that we were talking. Well, I brought up I think during BlizzCon, right? Mm-hmm. Like the idea that this is a soul-bound item to the jailer i think is sort of because we don't understand what that actually means in terms of what soul binding is does it connect maybe it's not necessarily a soul bound item maybe that's just that's the eyeball but he, why would it be odin's eyeball mm, because it's odin connected, odin it's connected to azeroth okay but then why would that be able to why would the helm be able to item. see into the shadowland Right. Mm-hmm. The, the the if it if it is the eye, I mean, you can actually come up with a really good reason why it would work. The eye of Odin was a pact item. It was yeah. the, the the item sacrificed so that Odin would gain the power to to look into the Shadowlands. The eye itself would be emblematic of and embodying that pact. But the ability Odin... to look forward into the Shadowlands and raise the dead, which is exactly but... the thing Odin got out of doing it. So you could easily say that the eye is part of that pact it's... and therefore uses that ability. Except for one thing, Odin doesn't look into the Shadowlands. He doesn't do anything with the Shadowlands. Otherwise, yes, he does. Absolutely, he sends, he, does. Us, he sends us to do it. He's able to he open still that portal. That's, that's, that's where it. he got the power. No, he doesn't send us. He's the one that raises the, raised the first Valkyr. He did that. He can see into the Shadowlands. That's the pact he made. That's specifically the pact he made. So that he could see into the Shadowlands and create beings that were empowered by that pact to bring to ferry the souls of the recently deceased back and then give them new bodies. See, I'm still I still think that the eye of Odin was more probably something to do with that lantern from Helia than mm. than this because the lantern was giving able it to dominion con- over the Valkyr. Over the Valkyr, right? And if that's what he gave up to have that power, if that's what the focal point was, that's what it was. I could see that being the case. I get what you're saying. Like, I don't, I don't, it's definitely plausible. Um, The problem is, is that Odin went to this creature in the Shadowlands and he had Helia put him in contact. He had Helia put, put, put him in contact with this creature from the Shadowlands that we don't, we still don't know who or what that creature was and say to that creature, Hey, you know how do you have this Shadowlands place? Um, I would like to prevent my people from going there entirely. How can I do that? Can you give me a way to uh, figure that out? Can you give me a way to deprive you of the souls and the anima that you want? And whatever that thing was, it said, sure, I can do that if you give me your eye. Why would that thing make that deal? And I think that's what we need to look at here. And if that thing was the jailer, well, then obviously whatever it is the jailer wants making that deal with odin was part of that part and parcel of that go ahead go go for it the jailer is was was and is in control of the maw yeah Mm -hmm. and supposedly only the worst go to the maw the maw is like an eternal prison for souls it's where the absolute worst of the worst go the jailer gave odin and his valkyr the ability to find those who were worthy to be raised into new immortal bodies okay they have to die a worthy death in battle they were going to be recycled into into the world anyway. They were going to go through the normal part of the animal cycle, not the maw. But yeah. this sabotages that. It doesn't hurt the jailer at all. It disrupts it hurts the everybody else. It disrupts. Yeah, it starts disrupting things. But not him. In fact, because he'd still be getting the same amount he was always going to get. So he would and grow perpetually in power. Yeah. Yeah, and that's just one possibility for why the jailer would do that. And the 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 thing is, is that again. It's quite possible, and in fact, maybe even likely, that it's not Odin's eye. Then I'm not saying that it is. I'm saying that it could be justified fairly easily. If it is Odin's eye, I want a quest in Shadowlands where we get that jewel and we take it to Odin and we say, here, look what we found. And he goes, oh, cool, and just pops it in his socket. Because that would be gross, but it'd also be kind of funny. Well, I mean, that's the other thing to consider. 
we know that Helia is supposedly not dead. No. Like the there's the the variety cool even say it in this expansion. Like, oh you think she's dead? No, she's not dead. But the curse that bound Odin to the halls of valor was broken when she quote unquote was defeated when she died. So mm-hmm. he can go wherever the heck he wants to go now. But more importantly, if she's not really dead, why is it broken? Or was it broken? Yeah, so I always wondered about that too, because I'm also curious why if she was stuck where she was. What if that's the way she got out? Yep. Like she might have had to, like you know, in order to bind him to where he was, she had to she bind had herself. She had to lock herself away. Like she made manifestations into our world, but she didn't actually go there. Like there's big manifestations of her at summoning rituals, but that was like with multiple Cavaldir summoning, and even then, it wasn't really her. She didn't leave. It was just kind of a form plan. of her projection. Yeah. So there's there's stuff going on here that the eye doesn't necessarily have to even be involved in, and the Lich King doesn't have to have it for it to be like you know right tied in but i I, it is an interesting idea and it would it's one i think is plausible because the eye is the eye was the like token of that original deal it is essentially the thing that serves to like cement it the question is is like if the eye is useful to somebody enough to be willing to make that deal then why would you just stick it on a helmet and then let it go and that's 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 kind of my thought on it because like I, i i also think the idea of the helm being something that was stolen by the Nathrazim or involved in something else makes more sense in that regard. And I think, I, I don't think we've truly seen the eye yet. And I think that's the scariest prospect. I don't think we know what it actually is being used for or was being used for. I think the assumption that it is or was being used for something is, is accurate. It's just a question of what, why? Okay, we've got time for one more question here, and it also involves Odin's eyeball. So we're just going to go ahead and jump into that email because I think that'll kind of wrap us up real good here. Um, this one is from Maintrog, who's a Draenei Death Knight on Melganus, who says, Hello, Watchers. During the last episode, the topic of Odin came up, because of course it did. We talk about Odin a lot here. As we all know, Odin sacrificed an eye to be able to see into the Shadowlands. I tend to agree that it doesn't feel like he's corrupted, and after thinking about it, what if we're dealing with something like the Palantir from Lord of the Rings? Odin can see into the Shadowlands, that we know, but what does he really see? Denethor and Saruman both had stones, but what they saw through their Palantir was heavily influenced by Sauron. What if Odin Mm -hmm. is in a similar situation? Odin's eye was swallowed by the entity he bargained with, granting Odin the ability to see into the Shadowlands. What if what he sees is being tampered with? What if what he sees is being influenced by that shadowy entity? For example, Odin always claimed that Helia had been corrupted. That never seemed right to me, but what if that's what Odin saw? I tend to agree with the idea that Odin has not been directly corrupted, but perhaps his vision has. Perhaps what he sees is the reality some other entity wants him to see. Odin's towering pride and arrogance subtly manipulated over eons. And that's from Maintrog. Um, What do you guys think about that? Because I actually, I kind of like this whole tie to the Lord of the Rings thing. I will say that I don't think that he ever thought that Helia was corrupted. Mm -hmm. Um, How it's been presented is that he and Helia were arguing and she basically says, if you don't drop this, I will put the Halls of Valor back. I will, you know, I'm the one who gave, who did the magic to hold this place into its own pocket plane. If you don't stop this insanity, I will put it back. You'll just have to deal with it. I'm not helping you. And he, and he snapped and effectively killed her. He killed her and then twisted her spirit into the first Valkyr. He says he shattered her physical form and twisted her spirit into the first Valkyr. And if you think about that, I think everything he said afterwards was, I don't even want to say it was self-serving. I think he's tr- desperately trying to convince himself that that's what happened. That she, you know, she meddled in forces she couldn't comprehend, and the only way to save her was to do this, and that was the only thing that was left to him. And then since then, you know, she's just ungrateful. She's just the, she's just the villain, and that's how, in a way, that's how he like quote unquote sleeps at night. I don't think he actually sleeps, but that's how he gets through. But I do think there's a possibility that you know, it, you know, you make a pact to do something you're not supposed to be able to do. How does it work? And you know, you don't even need to be lying. You just show them the things you want them to see. It doesn't even mm-hmm. require you to, like, edit it much. You just, like, you know, you get to see what I want you to see, but that's fine. You know, I don't care, you know. I, I don't know. There's a lot to this idea that's interesting. I, I I I like the idea, too, a little bit of him having that, that limited view into the Shadowlands, because I've been wondering about that, too. If we assume, if we make the assumption that the Jailer is the, the entity that he made the deal with to learn how to make Valkyr, so he makes Valkyr. 
Okay, we still don't know what process he uses. We know that the Lich King was able to do it without necessarily having the eye. And Odin was also still able to make Valkyr without, you know, just without having his it other was like eye or whatever. two different variety of Valkyr. Right. But they were still being created. Yeah. Um, but the idea that maybe Odin's view through his eye is limited, let's say even if it's just limited to the Maw, that's justification that he can use. Look, I didn't break anything. All these unworthy, terrible souls are still going to where they need to go to be punished for all of eternity. I'm taking the worthy ones and saving them from this fate, and they're fitting into my master plan perfectly. I don't necessarily think that he's, he was manipulated in that regard. I just think he's willfully ignorant by his own merit. Like, all of our dealings with him, and, and I was talking with Rossi about this uh, probably a couple weeks ago when I started playing my warrior, and I started leveling through uh, all of the Legion stuff. Dealing with Odin, Odin's a jerk. Like he, like I've wanted to punch him in the face so many times. Well, and he, I mean, ask Rossi, his personal Pokemon. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But I mean, it, it's, it's just one of those things where like interacting with them, it's not necessarily that like, I don't necessarily think he's lying, but I think Rossi's right. I think he's, he's justifying his actions the only way he knows how he is the prime watcher. He is the prime designate. He knows what's best. Therefore, if he knows what's best, what he thinks has to happen has to happen. And that's the end of it. Like the Helia thing. I think Rossi's right. He didn't believe she was corrupted. But what if the reason he's telling us that is so that we'll go kill her because he knows that she's tied to where she is because he's tied to where he is. It's the whole Xanatos de uh, Demona thing. Like by killing her, he gets free. She gets free, but then he can go and keep doing what he needs to do. Like, that's why he wanted us to go do it. That's the right thing for him. That's that it's not necessarily a lie. She deviated from his plan. She no longer fits into his plan. She is no longer a viable entity to his plan, his one view, his one direction, right? Like the dragon aspects. He didn't like that. He didn't want that. So he did his own thing, right? That's corruption to him. So he's not necessarily lying. He may not believe that she's actually corrupted. But I just think that it's his limited view. Like he said, his his pride, his arrogance, his towering pride and arrogance, they're driving these decisions. And then when he does look into the Shadowlands and all he sees is tortured, damned souls, these worst of the worst, what I'm doing is right. Everything is still good. My plan's still working. I have to keep moving forward. Okay. Those are actually some really good answers. And I think on that note, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here because we're reaching about that time point. Blizzard Watch. It's made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. And your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And for you guys, the listeners of Blizzard Watch, Audible's offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I know we mentioned Before the Storm several times over, and we also mentioned War Crimes. Both of those are available as audiobooks. You can pick those for your free audiobook download if you want to. Um, Before the Storm, I highly, highly, I, I can't tell you how highly I recommend this book. You will cry like a baby, but it's okay. It's also being read by, is it Josh Keating? Is that his name? We're talking about bef uh, Before the Storm? Yes, yes, Josh Keating. Josh Keating. He's, he also does the voice of Anwen Wren in-game, so if you want to hear Anwen read the book to you, uh, this is a good way to do that. And even if you don't want one of the Blizzard's books, and there are lots there, uh, Audible has thousands of other books to choose from. You can pick whatever the heck you want. Uh, you can download any of Blizzard's titles. You can download any of the thousands of others by going to blizzardwatch.com slash audible and signing up for their service. Every sign-up helps support the show and everything that we do. Um, also, in addition, if you do have an email for Lorewatch, again, you can send that to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Be sure that you put Lorewatch in the subject line so that we know that it's intended for the show. Or you can go to our Discord. Blizzard Watch does have a Discord. We have a channel that's specifically for Q and podcast questions. You can throw one in there. Again, just designate it as a Lore Watch question so that we know that it's for this show. Final thoughts, you guys. Okay. Do you think that Odin is corrupted? Or do you think that he's just, in general, a pretty terrible Titanforge as far as Titanforge are concerned? Like, did he completely deviate from his quote-unquote programming? Or has he just gone off the rails? Or has he taken his programming so seriously that he's turned into something that is not good? Rossi. 
Odin has been operating without any direct input from the Titans for like untold thousands of years. Uh, much like we saw with the Mogu, without course correction, without somebody to tell them that's not a good idea, they don't seem to be able to back down from bad ideas. Which I think is one of the reasons that Tyr wanted people who were actually connected to Azeroth to defend it in the first place. Yeah. Because they're part of the the situation in a way that the Titanforged aren't. The Titanforged look at it from outside. So I don't think he's been corrupted. I don't think he's like under the... You want corrupted, that's Loken. Loken was corrupted. I don't mm-hmm. think Odin is. I think Odin is just completely incapable of considering... In a weird sort of way, Odin has the same problem that Anduin has. And they're very similar. In that they automatically assume that they're right, and then they're not willing to listen to dissent. If you try and tell them, no, you're not right... Do you think that makes him a terrible Titanforge, though, or a really good Titanforge? I think he'd be fine if he had somebody to, like, rein him in. Gotcha. Like, the problem with some people can't, you know... Somebody they, who outranks him, work. because in yeah. his eyes, nobody does. Yeah. Like, Tyr, if you want to talk about Titanforged who are terrible Titanforged, Tyr is a terrible Titanforged in that Tyr is actually along that path of having independent thoughts. And Odin does not seem to be burdened by this problem. That would be what I would say. That's I, a I think of Tyr's. fascinating thought, but it's also kind of a correct one as far as I'm concerned. Joe, what do you think? Along the same lines, uh, I think that he is performing his designated task to the best of his ability. Like you said, without course correction, I'm reminded of a program that I used to run uh, that it would do its task, but unless there was something to tell it to stop and reset or reevaluate every so often, it would do nothing but essentially consume all of the memory in a system and then crash the system. And that's kind of what Odin's sort of doing in my, in my sort of view, right? He's proceeding along a path with no course correction, no oversight, no other programs around him anymore with equal authority or equal privilege to tell him to stop or to, you know, help give more input to make it run more or to, to make it you run know, better. unplug him plug him back in again kind of well, let me use let me use an example from again the real world do you guys know about the pioneer spacecraft yes mm-hmm. the pioneer spacecraft when they were launched they had a very specific trajectory plotted out and about a decade in they realized these things are not where we, pro- we projected they would be they're they're off course it didn't really matter that much because while they were off hundreds of thousands of miles that's in space, which is enormous. So, but they were off. They were not going where they were supposed to, and they couldn't figure out why. And they couldn't correct it because the Pioneer, you know, it didn't really have thrusters. So there was no way to adjust the course correction. They couldn't even figure out what was happening. Eventually, they realized that when they designed the Pioneer spacecraft, they didn't account for waste heat, mm-hmm. and the things were giving off enough waste heat that it, be, it was becoming a counterforce that was changing their. You know, it was a very, 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 very weak little force. But over the course of years and massive distances, it was changing their, their trajectory. Odin and all of us, all Titanforged, are part of this weird process where it doesn't seem like the Titans accounted for the development of free will. Mm-hmm. And As Algalon said, yeah. yeah. It's throwing, and over the course of like centuries and millennia, it's throwing everything off. And it can't really be adjusted for by the Titanforged. The, the ones that are still direct servants of the Titans, the ones that are still not organic beings, can't account for it. it. It's the organic beings that can account for it, that can say, this is happening, we need to make a course correction. That's, that's what I take from this. That's what I look at it as. Okay. I kind of like that. All right. Well, that's going to go ahead and wrap us up for the show here. Thanks, you guys, as always, for listening. And we will see you again next week. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details planning for your next trip 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.